Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Brian Wagers. Brian has acquired a total of 350 plus rental units valued at over $14 million while also working full-time as a logistics manager for a Fortune 500 company. So thank you so much for being on the show, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me, Charles. So give us a little bit about your background. Um, you're buying all this real estate. You're working full-time. So uh, let us know kind of how you... Uh, what happened prior to getting involved in investing in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me first off. And yeah, those numbers are a little bit old. We're at uh, 447 doors now here at the, since the start of the year. But um, yeah, I got started um, about four and a half years ago with a single family purchase. Um, that was my first kind of foray into uh, real estate, you know, altogether. You know, a lot of people, I think it's a lot of people's first step as a, as a single family purchase before they get into multifamily. And, and that's where I started. Nice. Okay. And so well, why did you choose real estate? I mean, you're buying as a single family. Why did you choose real estate as an investment field of something you do on the side while you're working full time? Yeah. So I, I had been working full time for, you know, about three and a half years and I was really doing well for myself. And um, I wanted to make my money work for me and everything led me to either stocks or the stock market or real estate. And mm -hmm. I actually dove into the stock market at first and I lost quite a bit of money on a company called GoPro. Um, I spent, mm -hmm. uh, they were doing up and coming and they decided not to get into, I guess, drones or something, some sort of decision really tanked their stock. And I lost, uh, you know, about a thousand dollars overnight and I had like no control over yeah. no control over it. So I, I knew stocks really wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, I was, I was spending a lot of time watching it, but really I didn't have any control over that. So mm. everything led me over to real estate and, you know, I was listening to bigger pockets and going to a couple of seminars and reading books and just started looking for houses uh, under a hundred thousand dollars in my area. And, dove in on a little single family rental. Um, you know, the, the mortgage was 450 and I had it rented out for 950. Nice. And everything was going great, but it was just going to be too slow to be, get really where I wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, it, uh, there was no nightmare tenants or anything like that. There was nothing wrong with a property, but to get really where I wanted to grow exponentially, it was going to take too long with, with mm. a single family and everything I had read and everyone that I spoke to people in the arena, they had wished they had got started in multifamily, you know, sooner than they had. And I, I didn't really want to delay. So I just started looking for multifamily properties just a, a few months after I had that house rented out. And, you know, I think I had the confidence of being able to, that I actually did a deal all by myself, mm. you know, when I was talking to brokers and talking to lenders and talking to even potential investors at the time. So uh, I found a 12 unit right after that. And then from there, I guess I, I got that 12 unit one year after I got the single family. Nice. And from there, you know, grew to the portfolio we have today. How'd you acquire? Tell us about that 12, uh, the 12 unit. How'd you acquire yeah, it? 
the the 12 unit it was actually on the market yeah so i just sent up some notifications there was uh it was actually on the market um and it i reached out to the broker um i ran the numbers that i had learned how to do and uh it had once i had finally convinced uh a family friend to invest with me they were they were a big proponent of single family but i showed them the numbers and everything and worst case scenario best case scenario for the for the 12 unit and when i had finally convinced them the 12 unit had fallen off the market but i had stayed in touch with the broker and about two weeks later it had relisted on the broker's website but not on on the market and i was there ready to close uh before anyone else you know got to it the previous uh offers person finance fell through so we Mm -hmm. were there to scoop it up and how did you finance that with conventional like local bank financing yeah conventional local bank financing i uh family friend actually lent me one hundred twenty five thousand dollar uh loan and mm-hmm. i it was actually just a uh a promise it was before i really knew a lot about the syndication model mm-hmm. and knew about any sort of model i i told him i would give him 10 percent and i would pay him back you know ye- uh yearly and he was good with that he was making like eight percent on his houses and uh it was a quick return for him and so he financed the down payment um and then the local bank finance the rest of the purchase. Awesome. That's a great way of hacking it and getting into it. And did you self-manage that? You were, I imagine you were self-managing your single family. I, so. I self-managed a single family, um, but I did not, I, I got into profession, you know, that was one of the reasons yeah. why I wanted to get into multifamily because of that level of, you know, professional property management. It wasn't, you know, the hundred unit ideal for, you know, most property managers, but this property manager had a lot of other units in the area. So, mm-hmm. You know, I had units across, it, it was a local property management mm. company and they were very familiar with the property in the area. So they were able yep. to get in there. Um, the, the previous owner actually managed it himself. Um, and we were able to get rents up quite a, you know, do some yeah. exterior renovations, interior renovations, new parking lot. And we were able to get rents up pretty quickly there. Yeah, that's great that you had a local property manager. I'm a big proponent of that because um, they know the area better than probably you knew the area. I mean, they do have properties around it. So obviously if someone wants to rent in that area, they have a lot more units they can show them. But the other flip side of that is um, they're in the neighborhood pretty often. You know, there's going to be handy men fixing a toilet across the street. You have your property there. And uh, so it's not like uh, they're 30, 40 minutes away and never see your property uh, unless there's an issue, you know? So exactly. But uh, that's awesome. That's great. So how did you go from 12 unit? Did you start uh how did you scale to your next property what was your next property after that yeah so so at the time you know I, I, we were uh writing letters to owners uh, mm. my wife and i actually she wasn't my wife at the time she was my girlfriend then fiance then then wife but uh she would drive around and drive me around the areas uh that we were looking at and i would write down addresses mm-hmm. of of properties that looked that i could kind of tell were owner operated you know Maybe the grass was uh, growing. Maybe the exterior needed new paint. Um, kind of mm-hmm. wrote down addresses of more distressed apartment complexes because um, that was going to be my strategy. It still is my strategy going after you know value add uh, properties. And we found uh, a twenty unit. Uh, someone someone got back with us, and uh, he was actually willing to 
seller finance a down payment. So he, oh, nice. he seller financed that. I actually have done two seller financing deals, uh, two 20 units. Um, those were my next two deals were, were two 20 units that I used, uh, took advantage of seller financing on those um, off market from, you know, driving for dollars on that. How did you structure uh, those deals? Did you get um, like 15, 10% down and then you finance the rest out or? Yeah. So the first one I, I did, both of them did uh, 20%. They said they carried back 20% and the mm -hmm. local banks uh, carried the other 80%. Not oh, all nice. banks will do the seller carry yeah. back. Um, but a lot of local, local banks are more flexible with that, you mm -hmm. know, so I just made a list of all the local banks and called them and, you know, asked them, you know, gave them an mm -hmm. idea of what I was doing and showed them my numbers on how it would work. And, um, I found a couple that were willing to do the seller carry back and I, I structured it with the seller. Um, I would just pay them. It was, uh, it was $500 a month. I was going to mm -hmm. pay them back and then I was going to give them, uh, 7% interest on their, mm -hmm. uh, 7% annual interest, not compounding interest, but annual interest. And that I would have a balloon payment in three years when I refinance a property, but both properties I refinanced after one year, I was able to, mm. you know, implement everything pretty quickly. So I was able to get the sellers out, you know, within a year of owning those. Yeah. And you probably got debt a lot lower than 7%. So it worked out for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. The um, local banks have done the same thing is that um, I call around, especially when you have smaller properties and um, when you're dealing with these local banks and credit unions, uh, you know, they have a small investment committee, you know what I mean? And uh, that yeah. they might actually, the person you're working with at the bank might drive by that property every day and they might know the area as well, uh, just like your property manager does really well. And they know that uh, with you show them, you know, your 12 unit and your one unit and all this other stuff that you have going on that you've done, um, it gives you a great track record and that's where you're going to find it. If you go to a big bank, they don't care, you know, they're not, they have a set parameters of what they're working with, you know? It's a, I think it's a testament to multifamily too, when, you know, they, they get business ideas given them all, all the time. But when mm -hmm. a local bank sees that, you know, a hard asset, like a multifamily apartment complex that they know is in the area and, you know, they, they're not really as worried about, you know, getting the keys back, you know, per se for something like that. They, they know that multifamily is a strong mm -hmm. asset class and they're pretty protected just by that apartment building. So I think, you know, seeing how flexible local banks can be with terms on multifamily is, is a testament to the, you know, risk profile of a, of a multifamily investment. Yeah, it's definitely something that you'll always get a call back on when you call to a bank, you know what I mean? Um, they're interested in hearing about it. How did you, uh, just one last thing on the sourcing of the funds, when do you, when you started building these relationships or looking for these relationships, was it when you had like a deal with an executed uh, letter of intent or was it something that was actually under contract or you were just like, Hey, maybe if I find this, I'll need a bank and I'm just going to like just cold call now and get some people lined up. Yeah. So for the banks, I got started when, when I first knew that I was going to get into multifamily mm -hmm. um, before yeah. I had any deals, I, I just called all 10, you know, all 10 to 12 local banks and gave them an idea of what I was doing and try to get in touch with the commercial lending department and who, who the point of contact would be. And like you said, you know, when you say apartment complexes, their ears, you know, kind of perk up. So as far as investors go, that's something I just have done recently in the past year, you know, get on podcasts like yours and um, start telling people more about what I've been doing um, before I have a deal. You know, the, the first couple of years, it was, 
find a deal, then try to reach out to family and friends and my own pocket, you know, after I had a deal. But now it's a continual letting people know about the benefits of real estate opposed to the stock market or any other sort of investment vehicle and, and diversifying there. So at, at, when I first got started, it was find a deal, run the numbers, and then, you know, talk to investors. And now it's, it's a kind of continual process, you know, doing yeah. both at the same time. Yeah, you got to keep all the plates spinning when you're finding deals and finding investors, because uh, especially when you're getting into larger deals. So um, what is your current investment strategy and criteria? You're over 400 units now. Uh, what are you looking at? Um, how have you defined your markets and why do you like those markets? And Yeah, so not quite, you know, driving for dollars anymore now with, with the smaller stuff, but it was a great start. Um, you know, now we are looking for um, I, I still look at the 20 to 100 unit properties, um, but if I'm going to be doing that, I, it's going to have to be in my backyard, which my backyard inventory is only so big. So, um, which is Northwest Arkansas, we're headquartered mm -hmm. here, um, which is uh, Walmart's headquartered here, Tyson, mm -hmm. um, JB Hunt, some some large players in our area. But I've started to look at Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, it's a market. It's only about an hour and a half here. Um, I have a property manager that's in place there. Also looking at Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. um, and Dallas, Texas submarkets. Um, anywhere in Texas is good. You know, everyone has their eye on Texas with with the influx, yeah. especially now. You know, you're in Florida, so you've seen the influx of people coming to states like Florida and Texas. Um, a lot of growth there. So I keep an eye out on those markets as well. You know, now that I have more investors looking to uh, invest with me passively. So um, as far as criteria goes, value add apartments, anything out of this market, I try to go for a hundred units up um, some sort of value add component doesn't have to be, you know, a heavy value add that I, I had started with, you know, whether it be property, uh, property management implementation. Um, and then try to look for anything 8% cash on cash return. And then anything, you know, try to get close to the 20% average annual return, you know, 15 to 20%, I think is a good target, but you know, 20% yeah. really makes people happy. Yeah, no, that's a, it's definitely a fantastic return. Uh, so you were wearing a lot of hats earlier in your career with real estate. I mean, what is your role at your company now? What do you focus on daily? It sounds like you're more on raising money. Are you also working on sourcing deals? Yeah. So in the beginning, I was doing a lot of, of finding deals. And then, you know, I kind of pivoted more now that I have the experience of finding deals, underwriting deals, and even managing deals. Um, I have started to focus more on raising money um, and partnering up with other people that are finding these larger deals that are more boots on the ground in markets like Texas, you know, Dallas and Houston and Oklahoma City and those markets that I talked about. Um, I was my goal when I first got into real estate, you know, a lot of people try to retire. Um, my goal is actually to retire my wife. So she is now mm. retired from work and, and she works on on the business and creating the website, putting out social media information and, and taking, uh, talking to investors and managing our, our investor portfolio there. So um, that was kind of the goal there to get her more involved with the business. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's great that you guys are able to split roles like that. Um, yeah. How did you manage everything now? You're full time. So 
how do you structure your day, your week and being able to work full time? And it sounds like a very busy professional sales uh, position while also um, buying hundreds of multifamily units. Yeah. So you definitely have, I mean, if, if you're wanting to do it full time and something else, it, you have to sacrifice, you know, so mm -hmm. me, it's, I definitely sacrifice my social life, which is fine. You know, for me, I, I, I don't uh, go out or anything like that anymore. I, I work uh, in the evenings and in the mornings, I get up at 4 a.m. every day um, and I'm working most weekends too. So yeah. I, I, tr I try to work after work and weekends and mornings and, and lunch and lunch breaks as well. Yeah, awesome. I want to just, uh, as we're like uh, going through here, I, I had a couple questions more about the seller financing because as I'm thinking about it, yeah, this is a great way. And it's, it's very, I mean, we have a lot of people come on the show and they're getting traditional financing or conventional, let's say from banks or from uh, agency debt, Fannie, Freddie Mac, stuff like this. And, um, but let's talk more about like how, when you were finding these self storage, cause I really want to kind of drill down or not self storage. When you're finding these properties that are doing uh, seller financing, how did you bring up seller financing? Was it something that, how, how did you build rapport first? And then you brought it up. Were you finding out what they needed? And then you brought it up. I imagine it was always something in the back of your mind that you wanted to ask them, but. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to ask because it, it really can be advantageous to the seller, uh, depending on what their goal is. So, uh, my first, you know, question is why are they selling? You know, if they need to deploy a bunch of capital into something else, or they're just tired of managing properties, you know. So these these guys that I was buying from, they were just it was more the latter. They were they were tired of managing properties. Mm -hmm. um, so I had the conversation with them, you know. I think I can get closer or, or even more high, higher uh, purchase price if you allow that seller financing with me being able to keep more equity in the deal. You'll be able to defer some, you won't have to report all your capital gains uh, at once. So it's actually tax advantage for the seller to mm. carry back some sort of seller financing. So they don't have to have a huge tax bill on that, that, that lump that they would have got. Also, I asked them if they would be interested in keeping some sort of cash flow, you know, while they work on getting, uh, putting that capital you, mm. to use. So I, all my deals, I had them keep some sort of cash flow coming in just to hold them. And I, and I let them know, you know, if I don't pay, if I, my payments stop, you're protected and you get the property back, you know, everything that I've paid you up until that point you know, you still have your property, um, but you'll have plus the uh, income that you were gotten, you had gotten from me. Yeah. That's so there was really a, a couple of different, you know, avid advantages for them. Did you, when you were structuring out the deal, did you come up with this? Cause this is very interesting. Usually I imagine they didn't owe anything on the property. So it wasn't like a wrap mortgage. It was something a straight seller financing. That's how you were able to do this. And the bank took the first position, I imagine. And then they took the second position because I, I doubt the bank would want to do such a large second position if that's even possible. But um, did you come up with the strategy? Like, did you structure it like in the LOI when you gave it to them and was like, hey, this is what we can do. I imagine you already had like some sort of verbal communication and confirmation. Yeah, I would give it to them in the LOI and just put them how how the payments would work, what the interest annual interest looked like, mm -hmm. when they would get their their money back by. Which for me, I, I told them three years, uh, at least you know with a balloon payment due at three years. Uh, but I like I said, I did it in one yep. year. But in the LOI, I had it in there, what their annual interest rate was going to be, 
what kind of monthly payments I would give them in the meantime. And then when they would get the full 20% back. Nice. So when, when I've done like seller financing, or I brought this up to people before to, um, you know, to sellers and you outline in the LOI exactly how you want to do it. And you're going through all these different um, benefits to them. Now, when you're you know, the benefits, I think most people see that aren't involved with real estate is, Oh, I can get in for like 0% down or low down payment, which make is it's true. You know, you can get in for a lower down payment in a hot real estate market like this is probably not as, um, easy to do that. And you might lose great deals because you don't have any money or don't want to put money down. But um, how, like, how, what other benefits do you find? And I find another one is that you get rid of a lot of junk fees as another benefit. What other benefits do you find um, that uh, with working with seller financing versus just going the traditional 75% uh, loan to value, 25% down? Yeah. And also, and something that you made me think of, I, I would give them two offers I would give them a, yeah. a traditional offer and a seller financing mm -hmm. offer. So I didn't necessarily lose them, but usually the seller financing offer would be a little bit mm -hmm. more attractive yeah. to them. I would have a higher purchase price tied to that, you know, mm -hmm. if they were able to do that, but you know, w with the seller financing, you're just dealing, you know, the seller is basically the investor. So you're only dealing with one person that you're having to manage as far as distributions go um, to, to the seller on that part. And then, you know, you're getting a lot more equity. So yeah. um, it's, it's on the, all the equity is coming back to you. Yeah. It's funny how that works because if you talk to a seller, they have all different types of requirements. Some of them before have told me, uh, you know, 10 for 15% down. Some say, listen, I need 25% down and they have all their number one goal. And then they have kind of, as you talk to them, it's number one, then it's number two. And then you find out, oh, wow, what I really thought was going to be a big selling point or something I could do, they don't even care about. So it's, um, or it's not really super important. So that's, that's very interesting. I always say like, you know, when you're dealing with the seller financing, my thinking is that it's really, I would pay another 5% almost on top of a deal for getting seller financing because you're avoiding a prepayment penalty. You're avoiding all the points and everybody you have to pay off of the bank really to generate the mortgage, which is amazing. You know what I mean? Um, so at the end of the day, and with the easy underwriting, because uh, it's gonna be a completely different underwriting procedure from what they're doing to you. Because with them already owning the property, my thinking is that, um, you know, they already know how this, this property performs. They're very comfortable with it. I mean, they've probably had it for decades. So I just, it's such a great thing for them to hold it on compared to if you just brought someone a property and was like, hey, uh, give me money. And this is some property over here that you've never been to and uh, you can finance it to me. So uh, it's, it's such a great, such a great avenue. It's awesome that you were able to structure it like that. Yeah. Absolutely. There's, de there's definitely a bunch of different ways to do it. And I think finding out why they're selling it is, is a big key to help it go through. So what are some common mistakes you see with, uh, with other real estate investors, whether it's new or existing investors uh, in this market cycle or any portion of it? I think, uh, I, I think new investors, it's typically, they start asking questions before they've looked up the, they, mm. I think that people try to ask questions before they've done any work, you know? So I, I would suggest try to find the answer yourself before you've, you, you start uh, trying to ask someone that's experienced or anything like that. You know, a lot of people ask me how to get started, um, you know, newer investors, um, and, and they haven't necessarily even read a book or listened to a podcast mm -hmm. like yours or listened to all the, you know, as many as they can, because a lot of those, you know, those questions are, they can be answered with, you know, doing some research themselves. And when you dive into the research, I think 
you're going to be able to have some more, you, you can start thinking of scenarios that maybe get you a deeper question, you know, might bring you more value to ask an experienced person. Um, and I think another thing that I wish as far as uh, getting started, I wish I would have uh, wore the multiple hats at, uh, at first, you know, I was super focused on finding deals in the beginning, but I wasn't as focused as telling people what I was doing and, and raising money. So um, I think it's good to do everything simultaneously. You know, I, I was all about acquisition, finding deals, putting deals together. Um, and now I do everything at the same time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So you, you kind of have an idea of um, how everything works. It's much easier to bring on team members when you have an idea of how these different parts work. So like if you've ever done, you know, you've, um, you've done some property management yourself before. Now, you know what issues you dealt with, even if it was on a smaller property, when a larger property, you understand what kind of issues could happen and how you rectified them and seeing how your property manager works with them. And it kind of lets you, uh, allows you to be, I think, better at asset management when you've uh, done some of the property management yourself as well. And I think that made me more comfortable to starting to ask, you know, before it was just my own money and family money. And now I'm kind of expanding, you know, now I've got more experience and I can say that I've done it. And, you know, it's, it's definitely a level of comfort and confidence and, and, and taking other people's money and helping them grow that money, you know, now that I've done, you know, all these deals so far. So um, it's, it's a good, good to have that experience. And also, you know, my end goal is to be completely, to be a passive, you know, I'm actively investing now so I can yeah. be a passive investor too, at some point, you know, invest with and in someone else's syndication. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, an awesome goal to have. So what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success? I think uh, not giving up, you know, sac sacrificing, you know, it, it's going to take some, you can't just keep doing what you're, you're doing to, and expect the same results. So, um, you know, what, being tenacious, um, you know, not giving up when you hear the first broker say no, not giving up when you hear the first lender say no, or a first investor say no, you know, keep, keep on trying and keep on going and uh, try to always be learning. You know, I feel like I'm always learning every day, talking to people like you and, talking to other people in this space, I think it's good to continually grow and not try to think that you've already got to figure it out. Yeah, especially in real estate, as it changes uh, so fast, where um, people's um, tactics and uh, how people are making deals work and uh, returns come uh, changes where we are in the market cycle and changes every cycle. Um, so how can our listeners learn more about you and your business, Brian? Yeah, so so you can email me directly, Brian B R I A N at wagerscapital.com. Um, we have a YouTube channel, um, and we have a website, wagerscapital.com. So reach out to me on any of those avenues. Awesome, Brian. Well, I will put all those links in the show notes, and I want to thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all your wisdom with our listeners. I imagine they picked up a number of nuggets that they can now instill into their life and looking forward to connecting with you in the near future. All right. Thanks, Charles. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode.
Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.